If you have your Bibles, I want you to go to the book of Judges, chapter number six. Uh, we are uh, in the month of December, and December is an off-topic month for us. And so we have eight sermon series a year uh, that take place uh, January through April and then August through November. And May, June, July, and December are what we affectionately call off-topic. It's whatever the Holy Spirit is saying, and it's outside of a particular sermon series. And so uh, if you have Judges chapter number six, uh, I'm going to teach a message that has just been on my heart all week. I asked the Lord last weekend uh, after the service, God, what would you want to say to the people next week? And the only thing I kept hearing him say to me is, get out of your way. Get out of your way. Get out of your own way. And, and that's what was on my heart all week. Uh, when I got to the sermon prep of my week to start uh, asking God exactly how you want me to put this together, um, the title of this message, and you can write this down, is get out of his way. There's a reason why you have to get out of your way so you can be out of his way. I believe that there are some incredible things that God wants to do through you right now. This is not like an end of year message that's supposed to make you reflect and I'm going to get you hyped for 2017. Uh, One of the things I don't like uh, is hype and gimmick. And so I'm not going to try to find anything that rhymes with 2017. It's just too much pressure on me coming clean in 2017. Get lean in 2017. It's just too much. So so, um, I believe right now, uh, 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 God is saying, hey, get out of my way, his way, get out of his way. There's some things that I want to do through you, uh, and, and, and it's time for you to stop making excuses for why you won't do what I've called you to do. It's time to get out of his way. So Judges chapter number six, starting at the 11th verse. To give you some context, this is where we're introduced to Gideon, who is a judge in the Old Testament that is used mightily uh, by God to overthrow the Midianites. But I want you to see the conversation that he has with the angel of the Lord, starting at the uh, 11th verse. Uh, Then the angel of the Lord came and sat beneath the great tree at Oprah, which belonged to Joash of the clan of Abizar. Gideon, son of Joash, was threshing wheat at the bottom of a wine press to hide the grain from the Midianites. The angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, Mighty hero, the Lord is with you. Sir, Gideon replied, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? And where are all the miracles our ancestors told us about? Didn't they say the Lord brought us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and handed us over to the Midianites. Then the Lord turned to him and said, go with the strength you have and rescue Israel from the Midianites. I am sending you. But Lord, Gideon replied, how can I rescue Israel? My clan is the weakest in the whole tribe of Manasseh, and I am the least in my entire family. The Lord said to him, I will be with you and you will destroy the Midianites as if you were fighting against one man. So let's pray real quick and let's get into this message. God, help us to get out of your way. Amen. Point number one, write this down. Get over yourself. (laughs) Write it in all caps. It might help you. Get over 
yourself. You, you really want God to have his way in your life? Get over yourself and start agreeing with God about what he says about you, not what you think about yourself. Amen. The encounter that God has with Gideon is absolutely fantastic. The angel of the Lord presents himself to him, and the first thing he says is, mighty hero. Gideon didn't even hear that part. Hey, you're a mighty hero, and God's going to deliver you, and because God is with you. And he goes, wait a minute, if God's with us, then why has all this stuff happened to us? And he says, don't worry about it. Go in the strength that you have. I'm with you. He says, well, I don't know if you know this about me, but... But uh, my clan's the weakest, uh, and I have the weakest family, and, and out of the whole family, I'm the weakest guy in the whole family. And God's like, so? I didn't ask you that. Get over yourself. I just told you what I'm going to do through you, and you just told me what you think about yourself. But I had already told you what I thought about you. I called you a hero and I said, I'm going to be with you. And so it's time for you to go and do what I've called you to do. And now you come with all of this stuff that I don't even care about. <laughs> uh, may I submit to you, ladies and gentlemen, uh, that when God calls us, I'm pretty sure he already knows who you are. I'm pretty sure he already knows what family you were born into. I'm pretty sure he already knows about your past. I'm pretty sure he already knows about your background. I'm pretty sure he already knows about all the stuff you've done. And he called you anyway. Why else would you be here on a rainy Saturday night at 5 p.m. with a Saturday you clearly love? Because the Holy Spirit brought you to Jesus. And when the Holy Spirit brought you to Jesus, he let you in on the most incredible family that you could ever be a part of. And it's amazing to me how many people are not over themselves so they can be used by God. I'm amazed still by how many people will not allow the Holy Spirit to do his work through them because of the way they think about themselves. Point number one is like, I can't say it enough. Get over you. Get over yourself. And whatever the limitations that go along with it, we'll talk about that next. He knows who you are already. Well, I'm weak. No, duh. The strongest person in the room is weak compared to the presence of God. So even if Gideon was strong compared to God, he's still weak. And what he's asking him to do cannot be done without God anyway. God just needs somebody that will say yes, not start a bunch of disclaimers as to why they can't. So point number one is get over yourself. Point number two, write this down. Get over your limitations. Get over your limitations. Now, I'm going to walk you through... Uh, something here that is just fascinating to me. We, we know the story of Moses uh, and how he was used by God uh, to lead 
uh, a couple of million people out of bondage in Egypt. But the conversation that goes on according to scripture, not what you saw in the movie Exodus. <laughs> I hope you didn't take that as like, that is the gospel. It was nowhere near the gospel. Okay. I want to read you this account, starting from the first verse of chapter number three. One day Moses was tending the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. He led the flock far into the wilderness and came to Sinai, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire from the middle of a bush. Moses stared in amazement. Though the bush was engulfed in flames, it didn't burn up. This is amazing. Moses said to himself, why isn't that bush burning up? I must go see it. When the Lord saw Moses coming to take a closer look, God called to him from the middle of the bush. Moses, Moses, here I am. Moses replied, do not come any closer. The Lord warned, take off your sandals for you are standing on holy ground. I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. When Moses heard this, he covered his face because he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord told him, I have certainly seen the oppression of my people in Egypt. I have heard their cries of distress because of their harsh slave drivers. Yes, I am aware of their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the power of the Egyptians and lead them out of Egypt into their own fertile and spacious land. It is a land flowing with milk and honey, the land where the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites and the Jebusites now live. Look. The cry of the people of Israel has reached me, and I have seen how harshly the Egyptians abused them. Now go, for I am sending you to Pharaoh. You must lead my people, Israel, out of Egypt. I love how NLT interprets this. But Moses protested to God. Who am I to appear before Pharaoh? Who am I to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt? God answered, I will be with you. And this is your sign that I am the one who has sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God at this very mountain. Here's what I love about God. He's not even talking about the present. He says, here's how, I know, here's how you know I'm with you. When you get back here with everybody. He starts speaking to the future because he is Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. So whenever God's talking about you, about what he wants you to do, it's already done. He already watched the movie. You haven't. Why argue with the man that's directing the movie? Just play your part. Yeah. Amen, movie references. <laughs> 13, but Moses protested again. If I go to the people of Israel and tell them the God of your ancestors has, been, has sent me to you, they will ask, what is his name? Then what should I tell them? God replied to Moses, I am who I am. Say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel. Yahweh, the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. Uh, this is my eternal name, my name to remember for all generations. Jump to uh, Exodus four and one. But Moses protested again. What if they won't believe me or listen to me? What if they say the Lord never appeared to you? Then the Lord asked him, what is that in your hand? A shepherd's staff, Moses replied. Throw it down on the ground, the Lord told him. So Moses threw down the staff and it turned into a snake. Moses jumped back. <gasps> Sound effects are extra. 
Then the Lord said to him, reach out and grab his tail. So Moses reached out and grabbed it, and it turned back into a shepherd's staff in its hand. Perform this sign, the Lord told him. Then they will believe that the Lord, the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, really has appeared to you. Then the Lord said to Moses, now put your hand inside of your cloak. So Moses put his hand inside of his cloak, and when he took it out again, his hand was as white as snow with a severe skin disease. Now put, it back, uh, put your hand back into your cloak, the Lord said. So Moses put his hand back in, and when he took it out again, it was as healthy as the rest of his body. The Lord said to Moses, if they do not believe you and are not convinced by the first miraculous sign, uh, they will be convinced by the second sign. And if they don't believe you or listen to you even after these two signs, then take some water from the Nile River and, put, and pour it out on the dry ground. When you do, the water from the Nile will turn into blood on the ground. But Moses pleaded with the Lord. Here we go. Oh, Lord. I'm not very good with words. Do you need to be if you just threw a stick down and it turned into a snake? <laughs> Do you really need to say something after that? If you put your hand in your cloak and pulled it out and it's ashy white with leprosy and puts it back and it's, and it's all whole again, you really need to say something. If you take a cup and put it in the Nile River and pour it out on the ground and it's blood, you really need to still prove yourself. You just gave me all these actions, but I can't talk. I've never been, and I'm not now, even though you have spoken to me, I get tongue-tied and my words get tangled. Then the Lord asked Moses, who makes a person's mouth? Who decides whether people speak or do not speak, hear or do not hear, see or do not see? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go! You please get out of my way. I'm trying to do something here. I will be with you as you speak and I will instruct you in what you say. But Moses again pleaded, Lord, please send anyone else. Then the Lord became angry with Moses. I love how patient he is. I'd have been angry after the first one. Fourth time, now God's man. All right, he said, what about your brother Aaron the Levite? I know he speaks well. <laughs> and look, he is on his way to meet you now. How convenient. He will be delighted to see you. Talk with him, talk to him, and put the words in his mouth, and I will be, and, and, and I will be with both of you as you speak, and I'll instruct you in what to do. Aaron will be a spokesman to the people. He will be your mouthpiece and you will stand in the place of God for him, telling him what to say and take your shepherd's staff with you and use it to perform the miraculous signs I have shown you. There's some there's some things that I want to uh, bring out here because I think um, we just got an opportunity to chuckle a little bit at Moses and his insecurities, but uh, these are the same type of limitations that come up with us when God tells us to do something. So I, I want to break these down to you so you can see them clearly. Uh, the first protest that, that Moses has uh, that he's going to God with saying, I, I, I really can't do this and here's why, uh, has to do with qualification. I'm not qualified to do this. You've given me the task, but I don't feel qualified. Anybody besides me, ever felt unqualified for something that God's telling you to do? I, I'm not qualified to do this. Why would you ask me? Go ask somebody else 
that has the qualifications. A ask somebody that's already led hundreds of thousands of people, but don't ask me. In my own life, I, I started preaching five weeks after I gave my life to Jesus Christ. Uh, it's been 20 years, <laughs> and all I've uh, been able to amass in that time uh, is about half a semester of Bible college. So I want you to imagine uh, God telling me, I want you to go preach here, and I want you to go preach there, and I want you to go preach everywhere. Sounds like Dr. Seuss. Um, uh, and I'm like, okay, but uh, I need to go to school. He's like, yeah, no time for that. Keep preaching. And I'm like, but they keep asking, like, where'd you go to school? And I'm like, <laughs> oh, that. <laughs> well, I didn't. Oh, oh. Well, the message was still great. And I'm like, Lord, can, I'm, I don't feel qualified. And he's like, yeah, I'll qualify you. How about you hush and preach? And I'll handle the whole qualification thing. See, I submit to you, ladies and gentlemen, when, when, when God is asking you to do something, he's the one that qualifies you. Now, I'm not saying that education is not important. I'm not saying that you can just be lazy and not, and not train and, and uh, be exposed to uh, higher learning. What I am saying, though, is when you come to him with the excuse and he's the one asking you to do it, he won't take no for an answer. I'm, I'm not qualified to go. He goes, yes, I'm the one that qualifies you. So that's the first one that he protested. Here's the second. Uh, the second protest has to do with revelation. Well, if I go, they're going to ask who sent you. What name will I give them? So God gives Moses a name to use that hasn't been used yet. He said, you tell them Yahweh sent you. I am that I am. I am who I am. And this revelation is the revelation of the blank check. He says, don't, don't tell him Jehovah Jireh. Don't tell him Jehovah Shalom. Don't tell him Jehovah Nisi. These are all adjectives that describe what I do. I'm going to have to give you a blank check. Because if you just go in there with Jehovah Shalom, peace, when they get hungry, they're going to need another Jehovah something. They're going to need a Jehovah hunger. <laughs> Jehovah chef. So here's what he says. Um, I'm going to give you a very incredible revelation. And here's the revelation. I am. When you go down there, you just tell them, I am. Whenever God's telling you to do something for him, he will always give you a revelation of who he is for the assignment that he's telling you to go out and accomplish. He will never leave you without a revelatory word to stand on from his word. I remember when uh, Juliet and I uh, were traveling and uh, we were looking for where God wanted us to be for the next season of our lives uh, as far as a church home. And uh, I had been praying about it and we had some conversations in private about where we felt like we wanted to go or where we wanted to be. And the Lord started sharing with me and leading me uh, to Gateway. And I said, well, Lord, if you want me to go to Gateway Church, I need a word from your word. I don't just need an idea in my head. I need a word from your word. And he gave me a revelation in his word about why he wanted me to be at Gateway Church. And the confirmation came with that word. And, and here's why it's so important to get a word from the Lord, because the enemy's going to test you. 
When you get out of his way and allow him to flow in your life, the enemy's going to come and go, you should not be doing that. The first sign of trouble or the first sign of chaos, he's going to be like, see, you shouldn't have been doing this. And if you don't have a revelation of who God is, it will literally paralyze you. But when you have that revelation, you can always respond, not with, again, not with your idea, but with what God said to you, even in the midst of the situation. There were plenty of times after Abraham had acted on what God said that he had to be reminded, you know what? I am sent me. And I am was a cloud by day. I am was a pillar of fire by night. I am was water coming out of a rock. I am was manna from heaven. I am was the presence on top of a mountain. He was whatever they needed him to be. He was. He doesn't leave you that excuse. He's always going to give you a revelation of who he is. Point, here's the second sub point in this. I mean, I'm sorry, the third. The third one was validation. In Exodus 4 and 1, this, this protest is about validation. Um, he goes, uh, what if they don't believe me or listen to me? What if they say the Lord never appeared to you? Then the Lord asked him, what is that in your hand? What do you have? See, qualification is different from validation. You get a revelation of who God is, and then you have to have validation. Here's how you know when you're validated, when he moves on your behalf. Anybody have God move on their behalf and it validates what it is he's called you to do? You step out in faith, and then he validates what it is he's called you to do. And let me tell you what I love about God. He always validates before he does it. Before he does it, he validates you. Matthew chapter number three, at the end, John baptizes Jesus in the Jordan River. When he comes up, God says, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. Jesus hadn't done anything. Jesus hadn't turned water into wine. Jesus hadn't done a miracle. He hadn't opened up any blind eyes. No lame was walking, but he validates his son before he does anything so that his son knows my dad's with me. You're faithful in this moment, and you're going to be with me no matter what situation I am. I'm convinced that I am validated. And look at the timing and the patience God has to convince the person he's telling to go. He'll take his time with you. It's funny to me when people say, you know, I've been running from my call. That's hilarious. As if God doesn't know from the time he calls you to the time that you submit, when he's going to enact things in your life. I ran from my car for five years. Guess what he calls that? Perfect timing. I knew it would be five years. I'm not sitting up there scratching my head, looking at Michael and Gabriel and going, I, I'm talking to the guy like five times, but he's still, he's still running. This is, this is, this is dealing with God in, in, in this thing called time is literally like watching Tom chase Jerry. You run out of frame, Jerry's beating Tom, and he turns a corner, and Tom's right there. Well, how, I left you here. How did you get here? I mean, what? It, it's God. You're dealing with someone that knows the end from the beginning. So he has more time than you do. So he's kind of just like, I'll be here when you're done. Rebelling. I ran from my call, and I did so much stuff. And he's like, I, I was here waiting for that to be over. Are you done? Because I'm validating you. And when I validate you, it's for you. They'll, they'll get it in a minute. I, I want you to see this. 
God's conversation with Moses, even though he's trying to say, hey, if they say this, then do this, and if they say this and do this, he's convincing Moses, not the people. You don't need to convince the people. You, turn a, you drop a stick down and it turns into a snake, they all get it. There's, there will be no protest. Well, do, it, do something else. Make one of those stars fall in my hand. No. He's trying to convince Moses because the one that's asked to do the work is usually the one that has the most issue submitting to what he's telling them to do. So that's the validation. Here's the fourth one. The fourth one is participation. After all of this stuff, he qualifies him. He tells him that, listen, you're, I, I'm with you. You're, you're, you don't have to do this by yourself. I got you. I've given you a revelation of who I am. I am who I am. Now I've just validated you. Put your hand in your cloak and pull it out. I'm going to show them something that has never been done. And lastly, it has to do with participation. Well, I can't can't do it because I can't speak. So again, here's my limitation. Um, I can't talk. I'm not good at speaking. I I have something in me, wrong with me, whether it's uh, physical or emotional, there's something wrong with me and, and, and you can't use me. And God's like, oh, okay, well, then I'll just bring you help then. Go get your brother. And, and I love this about God. God's like, oh, oh, I forgot. I, I forgot who you were. You can't talk. Oh, you stutter. Oh, I, I, I'm so sorry you stutter. I, I wouldn't even think, oh, man. Oh, here comes Aaron. Well, well, God, I know you told me to do this, but I'm not good with business. Oh, man, I forgot you weren't good with business when I told you to do my will. Your friend's in business. And here he comes right now. Well, Lord, I can't do that because my past, I had this horrible thing happen. Oh, I forgot when I called you, you had a horrible past. Uh, Your spouse doesn't struggle with that. Use them. He's not going to let you out of it. Get out of his way. If he's telling you to do something, if he's putting something on your heart, I'm not, this doesn't have to be this huge go take over the world. This could be pay for the person's gas at the gas station. And here you go, oh, I don't, is that, is is that you? Lord, I don't, Lord, Lord, is that really you telling me to pay for someone else's gas? It ain't you. <laughs> you would have just got gas and left. Let me tell you who else it isn't. It's not Satan. <laughs> I need you to be a blessing to someone. <laughs> That'll send them to hell. Bless them. So we've kind of ruled out it ain't you. It's not Diablo. It's probably Jesus Cristo. So, pay for the gas. It'd just be awkward. I mean, what if they ask me what I'm doing? I don't want to, I mean, do I have enough to pay for their gas? (laughs) It's a Prius. (laughs) It's not a Ford F-350, buddy. You won't be at the pump all day. It's probably going to cost you 12 bucks max. It's hilarious. I saw a Prius the other day uh, on the road in front of me, and uh, 
the way the cars, it was a lot of traffic. And so it, <laughs> I wish I was making this up, but I'm not. It accelerated and bubbles came out of the exhaust. <laughs> I just to myself, I knew this car was cute, but. <laughs> and bubbles just came out the back. I was like, is that thing run on like happiness and joy? It's like the most economical car of all time. I digress. Um, it could be something as simple as that. It could be praying for somebody at your job. Oh, that's just weird. Because, like, I haven't been to, like, ministry school. So I can't pray. I haven't finished my associate's degree in biblical studies. To pray? Just, I'm not qualified. I, I don't pray that well. How does prayer supposed to sound? Dear auspicious God, <laughs> creator of both heavens and earth, the magnanimous stars that hang, you decorated. <laughs> it is by this auspicious grace, God, that I ask you now to bless Stacy, the lady in the cubicle next to me. God, you did not create us to be squared off in silos, <laughs> disconnected from your grace. Almighty God, would you bless Stacy now? What? Just pray for her. It is important for us, if we're gonna expand his kingdom, to be so sensitive to his promptings that as soon as he whispers it, we go. Can you imagine if God had a group of people that were so sensitive to his voice without any excuses, without any obstacles, that as soon as he says something, I'm on it. Now let's think about this. Well, what if God didn't say it? Well, somebody got some free gas. What if God didn't say it? Well, somebody got prayed for anyway. Well, well I, I have a hard time hearing God, and so I just don't want to get it wrong. Well, well, unless you're... Now, if it's good, and it will be a blessing, I, I would say it's the Lord. If it's a word that you want to give, you might want to take a little more time to test that. But I'm just talking about being available for what he's asking you to do without complicating it with all of your preconceived notions about you and your limitations and you know what family I'm from. So get over your limitations. And point number three, write this down. Get over it. <laughs> now, what is it? It is everything. Get over your limitations, get over yourself, and get over it. And what is the it? The it is the fact that he's blessed you, and he's called you, and he wants to use you, because he planned to. I want you to look in Ephesians chapter number two, starting at the first verse. Once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins, you used to live in sin just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander the powers in the unseen world. He is the spirit at work in your hearts 
in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. All of us used to live that way, following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. But our, by our very nature, we were subject to God's anger, just like everyone else. But God is so rich in mercy. And he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. Parenthetically, I love this. It is only by God's grace that you have been saved. For he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in heavenly realms because we are united with Christ Jesus. So God can point to us in all future ages as examples of the incredible wealth of his grace and kindness towards us as shown in all he did, all he has done for us who are united with Christ Jesus. Now, now here's how I want you to see that particular verse, that God wants to point to us in all future ages. Do you know what he wants to literally do with your life? Use it as an exhibit to convince others of his grace. He wants to take all of us that have already given our life to us as proof to those that he still is inviting to a relationship with him. Do you know what I did with Tim? That guy got molested when he was eight. He was a porn addict when I found him, and I've used him to preach the gospel. Exhibit A. You know what I've done with Tina? Tina had low self-esteem all of her life, and I got her in a relationship with her, and now she's being used by me. Exhibit B. He, he's already out of letters. There's two billion of us that testify that Jesus is Lord, but if all two billion of us were out of his way, I think he could reach more people. If all two billion of us were literally sensing his spirit at such a sensitive level that the moment he whispers is the moment we act, there would be more people that saw his grace and more people that would be inclined to say, these people make it a very strong case that we should probably at least give this Jesus guy a try. There's, um, I, I use restaurants as uh, evangelistic fields. Uh, so I, I choose three or four restaurants and they become the place uh, and the places that I go and I just wear people down. Now, now, you guys already know how I'm wired. I'm going to hug you to death. And I don't just do that because we're all, oh, we're a family. I do it to complete strangers. It is the most disruptive, disarming thing you can ever do to somebody is to walk up to a stranger and be like, hey, come, come. I just flag them on in, and they're like, oh, oh my goodness, okay. <laughs> Do I know you? It's like really weird. They're just short. In that moment, it's very hard. I've only had two people in the 20 plus years I've been doing this go, <coughs> sir, take this hand, you know. Everyone else, even with the bewildered look on their face, I'm like, oh my goodness. <sighs> so one of the places I do it is uh, right up the street at the Four Seasons. And... Um, uh, this, this sweet uh, uh, lady there that's like the manager over the restaurant part, her name is Renee. So I, I walk in now, and we just, we just start chipping away at the whole staff. So the whole wait staff, the Muslim staff, the Hindu staff, the, it doesn't matter wh what they are now. I'm, they're just, as soon as they see me, oh, Mr. Ross, and they just come in and get a hug. <laughs> I've just literally destroyed the whole system, okay? The valets, everybody, oh, come in and get a hug. Here's the thing. I come in the other day, and Renee says, oh my goodness, Jesus Jr.'s here. 
Now, she's not venerating me as Jesus. I feel no pressure. Oh, my God, I'm going to be perfect. Oh, God, if she thinks I'm Jesus. But something has happened in the interactions and the generous tips. <laughs> Don't be a representative for Jesus and leave a track. That's not attractive. You see that? No? Nobody? Okay, never mind. Um, like, don't, don't be that person that's like, yes, I believe in Jesus. Here's $2. Your witness is destroyed. Completely destroyed. Okay? So we leave generous tips, and we hug everybody, and we're engaged, and we make eye contact, and we hug. And, and guess what's happening? Uh, Jesus is making an exhibit on behalf of everyone at Four Seasons. Exhibit whatever I am. Why? That guy? See, see, see him? If you get to know him a little bit more, you'll find out he's nothing better than you. I picked him up the same way I'll pick you up. Just want to use an exhibit. And here's why he needs all of us, because there's an influence that you will have in somebody else's life that I cannot have. What you cannot do as a believer is use your pastor as a crutch for your evangelistic tool. Would you, hey, listen to my pastor's podcast. No, they're going to listen to you. What did the podcast say to you? You repeat it. You preach it with your voice and your relational equity, and they'll go, oh, my goodness, man, I've never even thought about that. Matter of fact, don't even give me credit for the sermon. Just preach it like you came up with it. It won't be lying. You'll just say, I was in the presence of the Lord, and then just, just this came to me. That's not lying. I wrote down these three points. Let me give them to you. I'll be like, oh, my goodness, thank you. It's an exhibit. God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done. Underline that. So none of us can boast about it. Here's why you have to get over it. For we are God's masterpiece. Listen to me, y'all. You have to get over that. No matter what you think about yourself, here's what you have to know the truth is, according to Scripture. You're his masterpiece. I can't be his masterpiece. Look, what I, look at my past. I can't be his masterpiece. Look what family I came from. I, I can't be his masterpiece. Last week, I did this. Here's what God says. You're my masterpiece. You are God's masterpiece. Created anew in Christ Jesus. So you, this, here's why you have to really get over it. So he could do the wonderful things he planned for us long ago. God planned on you to be here. You're not a mistake. He planned on you to be here. And Satan hates that fact that he planned for you to be here. Suicide rates go up during this season because the enemy is trying to convince people that you don't need to be here. But he planned for you to be here, and you have to get over it. You're his masterpiece. You have to get over it. He's qualified you. You have to get over it. He's called you. You have to get over it. He's given, a re given you a revelation of who he is. You have to get over it. He's validated you. You have to get over it. <laughs> and he's calling you. And it's time to get over it and allow God to use you the way he wants to. So get out of his way.
because there's some things that he wants to do through you, some people he wants to bless through you, and he should be able to walk right through your heart into theirs without dealing with an obstacle course. Get out of his way. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes?